So the first reading uh, this evening is from 1 Corinthians uh, 15, and that's on page 1156. For those of you who'd like to follow in the Bibles. Um, And the second is from Revelation 21, which is page 1249. But as ever, I believe it'll be on the screen. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body but is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body and revelation 21 then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Thanks, Sam. Good evening, everyone. When uh, we look at some of the questions that have been submitted for this series, uh, I have to question why I was asked to speak on this particular subject, uh, that of what happens when we die. And I've concluded that the staff team thought I was statistically nearer to that than they were. Uh, And so to that end, uh, I've been assigned it. But it's it's a challenging subject. We've had lots of questions about it. And so I'm, I'm sort of torn between this. Do I 
do one or two questions in detail, or do I try and cover as many questions as possible but in less depth? And I'm probably leaning toward the latter, but what I have got is a list of resources, and um, what I'll be doing, hopefully, later this evening is emailing a PDF to the church office, and if you'd like a list of that, um, Paul is just looking really excited right now, but you, you can ask him and, uh, or, or one of his team, and they will send it out to you by, by email. So you're very welcome uh, to... Uh, do that. So the question um, that I've uh, given as a title for this really is what happens to me and my friends when I die or, or when they die? I don't know if you've um, been overwhelmed at times in the last few months with all of the um, pressures and uncertainties that life seems to hold. So, so, so for instance, this week we, we've seen um, uh, the beginnings of an attempt, it, se- uh, it seems, of Turkey to almost annex northern Syria with all of the cost in human misery and suffering there. We might be concerned about the various permutations of, of Brexit and, and what that will leave us with, both personally or in terms of our economy and our relations with, with other nations. Uh, I, I saw... Uh, um, interview about some social behavioural problems this week and, and somebody was arguing that what we need is more education and that will solve it. Uh, and then, of course, we have Extinction Rebellion in cities around the world, but particularly we are hearing of what's going on in London. And of, then, of course, uh, Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old uh, Swedish girl, spoke recently um, at the United Nations, and in a very emotional speech to world leaders, um, she said, yet you all come to me for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We're in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? And what struck me there was that there were two extremes of lack of hope. One is the sense that somebody could be so concerned about environmental things that their childhood is destroyed. And the other is the idea that there is, in fact, people who do believe in semi-eternal economic growth and that being the solution to the problems. And I want to say that tonight, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as someone who looks at the Bible, our hope does not lie there and our problems are not lying there. More than anything else, it revolves around the eternal purposes of God. And we can listen to those and be reassured that God has got a bigger plan for us than some of these problems that we are seeing identified in the news today. Well, we've had lots of questions, and I'm going to put them up on screen just as we go through, and I'll try and answer them in in sets. There's a possibility I might miss one or two or skip over some. By all means, um, come back to us on that um, later on. So the first of these questions, sets of questions, is this. What will heaven be like? When scriptures refer to the third heaven, somebody asks, where is this? What does scripture say heaven will be like? Revelation states that there will be a new heaven, a new earth. Why a new heaven? What's wrong with the heaven there is now? Why a new earth? Do we need an earth if we're going to heaven? What's heaven going to be like? Will we have bodies to do the things we love doing? Walking, cycling, tennis, etc. I'm sad to say that somebody omitted sailing from that list. So, um, I need help. Let's pray. 
Father, we come to you because we believe you're the source of life, you're the author of life, um, and you are the one that gives us hope. We also believe that in your word you give us uh, answers, and I pray that you would help me to um, open the word and to just be able to communicate something of the um, message of the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures around these, these subjects. Father, I want to pray because I believe that in a congregation here that there are, each of us are at different stages in our life. Some people are not thinking about it at all. Other people uh, have been very affected, by, perhaps by bereavement or, 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 or an illness of a close friend, and want to pray that you'd help us to be able to see that you are the giver of life and the giver of hope. And we commit ourselves to you because of that, in the name of Jesus Amen. Well, so what's this, this idea of heaven? Well, the Bible actually refers to heaven in more than one way. And, and, and I put that uh, parenthesis around the S because there is a plural, heavens, as well as heaven. And, and let's just have a quick look. The, f- the first way in which the Bible speaks about the hev- heaven is, is the atmosphere around the earth. So it's a non-scientific term, and obviously scientists have discovered a great deal more about the different layers of atmosphere that there are and so on. But sometimes when the Bible's talking about heavens, it's just talking about the atmosphere, nothing more than that. Uh, And other times, particularly when you see a plural there, um, uh, heavens, um, when God created the heavens and the earth, we're now talking about the universe. It's just an expression, the complete complete works, if you like, all, all together. It's only the third one that we often use in our context, and that is where heaven is the dwelling place of God. So in the Old Testament, for example, one of the prayers was, hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, that's the temple in Jerusalem, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So there was an acknowledgement that there is another heaven Geographically, we can't be specific about where it is, but the dwelling place of God. Now, at this stage, if we're talking about a location, I should be putting a map up on screen, shouldn't I? Um, uh, because I have this um, reputation to maintain, but, but I, I'm, I'm convicted. I'm convicted. This month, we're going through, this year's term, we're going through Galatians in the, um, in the uh, morning service, and we've got a memory verse for the month. And I think it's verse 11 of chapter 3, isn't it? So it says this, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. So I'm not going to rely on, on, on the legality of having to put a map on the screen. I'm going to live by faith, just for this one service at least. So, so that's, um, there's no map tonight. Just want to, if some of you were anxious about that, just relax. Okay, okay so um, that's the, the three heavens. So then the question that was asked, and one that I read out to you earlier, what about this third heaven? Uh, and the third heaven is only mentioned once as third heaven, and that's Paul's experience in, in uh, his letter to Corinthians, and chapter, the second letter, I think, in chapter 12, isn't it? Uh, and he refers to being caught up to the third heaven. Now, this was very much Paul expressing his personal experience, um, and he was doing it, he was talking about it, because he was trying to establish he genuinely did have authority 
And what's more, he had a relationship with God such that these Corinthian believers needed to pay attention to what he was writing. And when he spoke about it, he, he's talked about it, uh, he said whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. If he didn't know, I certainly don't know, and you don't know, and if God doesn't tell us, we don't need to know. Right? But he was a Jewish scholar. He was a rabbi. He was a Pharisee. He, he, he knew the Old Testament scriptures uh, backwards and forwards. And so going back to what I was just saying about the heavens, um, the atmosphere, the universe, and then where God lives, perhaps when he was talking about the third heaven, he was actually just talking about where God lives, that um, that's where he was taken. But whether it was in a vision or there was a physical movement in that direction, we don't know. I mean, other people in the Bible had a glimpse of heaven as well, didn't they? So, for instance, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as he was being stoned to death, he, he, he saw uh, heaven opened and Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And, of course, in the book of Revelation, John uh, is, is, is invited in to see what's going on in heaven as well. So that's what I think that third heaven is. And I think it was a, an exceptional experience that, that Paul had in, in, at that time. So why then this new heavens and the new earth. I think the question went something along the lines of, what's wrong with the existing earth? Well, the existing earth is under the curse. So when uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, Genesis chapter 3, God's curse was upon them and upon the earth, and we see deterioration in the earth. We see that things go wrong. Um, typhoon in Japan, you know, the, almost the trauma of rugby matches you know, not being played, but, but obviously much more serious than that. Earthquakes, the, um, the fact that weeds grow in your garden. It's pretty bad, isn't it? All of those things are indicative of, of, the, of, of God's judgment upon the earth because he couldn't leave uh, a sinful human race in charge of a perfect planet. But God promises a new heavens and a new earth. Now, I think that that is an expression of universality. In other words, it's the whole of God's creation. So I'm not talking about heaven where God is. I'm saying that God is going to give us a new universe at some stage. Right? New heavens and a new earth. And that will be when Jesus returns. Now if you turn to Revelation chapter 21, and this uh, is that passage that was read to us, when John, this is in the last but one chapter of the whole Bible, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Look at verse 3. Do you see that three times in this verse, it states that God will dwell with his people? 
When the Bible says something three times in close succession like that, you know, it's almost the God, God taking um, hold of our, 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 our lapels and sort of grabbing us and shaking us and saying, have you got that? You know, can you imagine, I want you to understand very clearly that I will be with my people. And so we look forward to that time when that will happen. Now, having said that then, what do we know about it? Well, we could say it is a new reality. If, if John in his vision could see this new heaven and this new earth, there must have been something similar enough to the original to be able to recognize it. But it's going to be so much better than the original, the one we're living in right now. It's going to be uh, absolutely out of this world. Now, some of you, I believe, were born after the 1980s. So, so you won't have heard some of the classic music that came uh, out of that era, and in particular, one song that, that, that hit number one for a few weeks in about 1987. Well, I suppose we could paraphrase that. By the way, that expression wasn't actually used in the original Star Trek series. Okay. But we, if we were so, so comparing the new heavens and the new earth to what we have now, uh, and it was um, Spock who was doing it, he might say, it's the earth, Jim, but not as we know it. It's been radically transformed. This new heaven and this new earth is different. And we will recognize it, but it will be significantly different. Now, what are the things that we will know about this uh, new environment uh, that, that God's people will be in? Well, there'll be certain things that will be absent from the new environment, we're told in the uh, book of Revelation. First of all, there'll be no more sea. Now, now uh, that both uh, um, is a concern for me, as a sailor who loves sailing, but also, uh, by faith, it is genuinely something that excites me. Because... If the thing I like doing more than anything else is not going to be there, boy, God's got to have a good replacement for it. You know, it really is going to be exciting. But in the scriptures, the sea represents confusion. And we're not going to have that in the new heavens and new earth. There'll be no more death or mourning, crying or pain. Well, think of those things and how they might have affected you in the last few years. There'll be no more sin. Have you been hurt by the behavior of someone else? Do you bitterly regret something that you've said or done, which you know to have been wrong? Won't be there. You won't be capable of sinning, and neither will they. There'll be no more darkness and night. No more impurity, shame, or deceit. There'll be no more international strife, and there'll be no more curse, as was laid upon this creation and its occupants at the fall. But what there will be for those who are believers in Jesus Christ is a redeemed humanity. And that is, we who believe in Jesus will have resurrection bodies. And we had that other reading from uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, 
where the picture of those bodies is explained in terms of, of, of seeds. Now, I don't know if you have a person who plants seeds, but if you go to one of the um, nurseries around about, you can go into their shops, you can buy a packet of seeds, and if you buy a packet of seeds and you open them, you sometimes find seeds that are the absolutely minute. And, and you, if you know what you're doing, you plant them in the right place with the right conditions, and then weeks or months later, at the appropriate time, what appears is nothing like what you planted. And the Bible speaks in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians about the resurrection body that will be different from what we have now. But we we know of a resurrection body. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. And when he first appeared, not everybody recognized him. But when he revealed himself to his followers, they could clearly see that it was him. He could eat. He could build a fire. He could walk, appear just in a room without necessarily having walked through walls, a locked room, he could be there. So, so there are characteristics that we just see in the resurrection, the body of Jesus, and Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first of the resurrection, and we can say that the, there's a likelihood that we will have some of those characteristics. Of course, in this place, we will have the presence of God, and we'll also have the blessing of work. Work that is free from frustration. Now, I I imagine that some of us have this vision of um, playing a harp on a cloud. How many people have thought that might be what it's about? And it just sounds a little bit boring. Or or you might say, I'm not musical. Calvin, did you say that ever? No. Okay, but you know what I mean? It's just not my thing. Well, well, can I suggest to you that, that when it comes to the new creation, we will have something to do. Why? Well, well, for for example, one of the things that we know is that when the Bible speaks of rest, it sometimes includes work. So when God in the Old Testament gave his people, the people of Israel, rest once they were in the land, it wasn't that they weren't working, it was that they were at peace and protected from their enemies. So rest doesn't necessarily mean no work. But it does mean work without frustration. This, this summer we had Cindy's uh, sister and brother-in-law visiting us for five weeks from Australia. And, and Roy, who, who grew up on a farm and in his retirement has taken up painting and decorating um, uh, 40 hours a week or something like that um, because he doesn't like doing nothing and he's got some other, wants to you know, put a bit more money into the pot. He, he, they came, and, and, and the primary purpose of that holiday was for Cindy and her sister to spend time together. The husbands were peripheral to the, uh, to the whole thing. But, but um, we, we've got an old house, and the windows were not in the best condition. And Roy, who was sort of kicking his heels a bit, said, would you like me to paint your windows? I think I can fix a couple of them that aren't looking too good. And you know, over the next three weeks, almost all of our windows got five coats of paint, uh, and two, the two most seriously damaged were repaired, uh, and it, it's transformed what the house looks like. Now, can I say that along the way, there were some frustrations. You know, it didn't all go perfectly, 
But, but, but Roy was fulfilled because he was doing what he loved doing. And in the process, he was also fulfilled because he loves helping people. And I was fulfilled because I thought, gosh, I don't have to do this. Uh, and, and so, but can you see the, the how you, you, there are some kinds of work that you do that are actually just such a pleasure? And, and I know that when you're tired, you know, when you're absolutely exhausted, you've given your all, sometimes you think, I just need to stop, or I, or I just don't want to go on. But that won't be there in the new heavens and the new earth because we will have the pleasure of work and the way God wanted it to be. So that's something of, of what we'll see, uh, what we won't see, and what we will see in this new creation. So that, what I've done so far is really try to set the scene in terms of what God has promised for uh, the heavens and the earth. So then let's come on to one of the other questions that's been asked, which is where do Christians go when they die? And I want to say and reassure everyone, the Bible makes it clear that when a believer dies, they are totally safe with Christ. Paul put it in his letter, first chapter of his letter to Philippians, like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this, the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So his promise through Paul, God's promise through Paul, is that death means being with Christ. And in the New Testament, we see on more than one occasions, one occasion where the reference of Christians dying is not using the word death, but that they are sleeping. So let me take you back to 2007. We had to make a trip to the States because uh, Cindy's niece was getting married and it was an early-ish start, I think it was about 6.30. And we went up to Heathrow uh, and we went to Terminal 2 because we were flying on United. And, and while we were checking our bags in, I, I, I just said to Cindy, oh, James works here. James is the son of the person who I sail with sometimes, Richard, who had this really lovely 100-year-old yacht that was you know, classic and um, so on. He, he heads up the customer service side of things for United. And just at that moment, somebody behind the counter called out to someone in our public area, James! And I turned around, and there was James, who I'd never met before, but he was a spitting image of his father. So having checked in, I went and introduced ourselves, and we chatted for a while, and Tim was with us. It was Cindy and... and uh, Tim and, and me. And after we chatted and talked about Thalassa, this lovely boat and so on, he, he, he said, come with me for a minute. And he took us to another counter. He said, just wait here. And, and he disappeared. And, 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 and five minutes later, he came back. He said, anybody who sailed on Thalassa, which was not the most comfortable of boats, he said, deserves a bit of luxury. Here are tickets to business class. He said, I'd like to put you to first class, but we just didn't have the space. Well, that was pretty good. It was before the days of business class being all horizontal beds, but they, did, they were very comfortable seats and well, well reclined. But before that, he said, you can go through security and use our lounge. 
because the business class lounge of United in Terminal 2. Well, we had always travelled cattle class up to then. You know, we, we, we looked for budget tickets, and, and so we'd nev I'd never been in, in an, in an, in an um, airport lounge. And, 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 and it was, um, we'd left early, so it was time for breakfast in my mind, so we went through security, went and got some food at one of the shops, you know, had our breakfast, then we headed for the lounge, only to discover that the lounge was, was luxurious and had every kind of food you might want on tap, if you like. Well, not, not literally, but you know what I mean. It was, it was there. And if only I'd known, I'd save some money, but I would have just been able to sit there and enjoy it for longer. Now imagine if you're flying in from the States and you have to change planes, you're flying in, let's say, on United or on British Airways, you have to change planes and go on to another country. What you don't have to do is go through passport control. What you do, you go into a transit lounge and you wait for your next flight. Heaven is our transit lounge. We await the return of Jesus. We await our new bodies, physical bodies, spiritual bodies. But we are in the presence of Jesus while we wait. Can you imagine that, being with Jesus in heaven? It's going to be the best worship ever. Sorry, Calvin. Okay. But it, it really is going to be absolutely great. So, so what about some resources? If, if you want to look into this more, um, uh, this will be on the resource sheet, which will be available if you're taking notes now. If you were to just Google the words third heaven, there's a, there's a lot of articles there. And can I say that you have to be discerning when you read them, because Jehovah's Witnesses will have some, there'll be all kinds of uh, isms and cults and a few other things as well. So, so uh, there's two I thought were worth reading. Um, one is from the website truthaboutdeath.com, and the other one from a site called askjohnmckay.com. So if that helps you and you want to look that up for yourselves, then please do, and uh, that'll, be, that'll be on the list of resources. And then another resource which I found really helpful is, is this book here. It's written by one of Cindy's colleagues, Chris Wright. Um, Chris is a, an internationally renowned um, theologian, but he's an absolutely down-to-earth Bible teacher. And he wrote a book just a few years ago called The God I Don't Understand. It's published by Zondervan, um, so you can pick it up um, at various places. And it's also available on Audible if you want to listen to it, Amazon's Audible, if you wanted to listen to it. And the last chapter, um, when, I, when I got this subject, it was somewhat short notice, and I, I just uh, said to Chris, Chris, you got any, Cindy says you've got some good material on this, and he emailed me the last chapter, which was really helpful. Um, so I'm doing, returning the favor, saying go and buy his book, um, because it, it really will not only um, be helpful to you, but it's got lots of questions, tough questions that it deals with. So moving on then uh, to the next questions that we've got from people who've submitted them, we've got que a question, where are the dead now? Well, the Bible states that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead, so where are the dead now? Why do some people see angels coming down just before they die? Where are they going 
And what about Ian McCormack's testimony? Well, the um, thing I want to mention that many of you will not have heard of Ian McCormack. Uh, Ian McCormack is somebody who had a a pretty significant near-death experience, and if you find his website, you can read it through. And and you, no doubt, if you... uh, as you listen, you probably have heard stories of people who've had a sort of out-of-body experience um, when they've been severely ill on on the point of death. And so how do we deal with that? And so I'm going to suggest that that there are some tests that we can apply to these unusual testimonies, right? Uh, Or angels appearing in a a deathbed situation. And, And the first test is this. Is God capable of doing this? Just because God doesn't normally operate that way, for example, doesn't mean he's not capable of doing it. And I would argue that God is quite capable of doing something like that. For example, we hear too many testimonies from Muslims who've got no faith in Jesus of them having very significant dreams which have led to their salvation I've heard too many of those to not believe that God operates in that way, for example. And I would think that God is quite capable of giving someone a near-death experience that might lead them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think it's the usual way that God operates, but I think it's possible that he could. So if that's happened to someone and they've come to faith in Jesus, my next test, next question is this. What is the focus of their testimony? Is the focus of their testimony the experience they've had or is the focus of their testimony Jesus and the life he's given them? Because if the focus is all about me, in other words, it's all about my experience, then I'm less prone to trust it and to accept it uh, as being something that really has been divinely inspired because the result of God's work should be that Jesus is glorified, not me. And moving on from that then, is the message that they proclaim salvation by faith alone? So the key thing is that if someone comes to faith in Jesus through this unusual type of experience... If they are sharing what's important to them, it should be a message that Jesus saves people who trust him for forgiveness, who come to him as Lord. It should not be people, you know, encouraging people to have a similar experience to them to get saved. And the reason I say these things is because there are charlatans out there. There are people who will tell stories and take naive people with them and take them down the wrong track. And so I think we have to be quite discerning here. So the next question is, do these people bear lasting fruit as Christians? Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we should be seeing those things in abundance and consistently. If we're seeing those things, then I think that that would be a positive mark Uh, And the last question is, are they cashing in on it? If if they um, try to make a lot of money out of it, that would be a very negative thing for me because I think that they are using it in the wrong way 
rather than the right way. So those are some tests that I offer to you um, for those unusual testimonies. Uh, so I don't want to rule them out. I haven't had one, uh, those experiences, and so I'm not in a position to give an affirmative yay or nay, but I think if we approach them this way, it might be helpful. And then another uh, set of questions, uh, what about my friends? And here we've got, are my many kind, respectable, good living, better people than me friends who don't have faith in Jesus going to be sent to hell? What will be the eternal destiny for those who've grown up in religions other than Christianity and or never heard about Jesus? What about those who've heard but for reasons such as bad experience of church or Christians have turned against God? And what about those who made a real and genuine commitment out of faith but at a later point no longer believed or lived it out and who will not be allowed in according to scripture? Well, there's a, um, a useful uh, site um, uh, called solas-cpc and this will be on the resources as well. Uh, and here are two uh, guys chatting about this particular question. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, there's a quick summary of what he said. Hell's tied up with justice. If there's no ultimate justice, you can live as you wish. Um, we're confused by our images and metaphors uh, with the influence of medieval art. The Bible talks about separation from God and everything that depends on him. Uh, the New Testament image of Gehenna, which is fires lit by human, but God wants everyone to respond. Heaven's mentioned many more times than hell, and we're not designed for separation. So we, we do come on to some of the other issues, and I'm conscious of the time. Um, so I just want to mention that these will be on the, on, on the resources, but, but the Bible does lay clear responsibility on everybody. Everybody has an opportunity, no matter whether they've heard the gospel or not, the very nature of God's creation is enough to point people to him. And so in Romans chapter 1, from verse 18, you'll see that. And in chapter 2, you'll see that it says, basically, everybody stands guilty before him. So none of us deserve heaven. We only are granted heaven if we come to Jesus. On the issues of, of people... Um, who may have drifted away from the faith. Well, well, the Bible in Ephesians, letter to the Ephesians, talks about those who've come to faith are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, a seal um, is designed to guarantee, stop something being opened uh, 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 or removed. And so if God's Holy Spirit is doing the sealing, I think it would be very difficult for one of us to remove it. But... The flip side of that coin in the scriptures is that the evidence of someone's salvation is that they hold fast to their faith to the end. And so someone who is not walking with God now, although they once did, they will not have assurance of salvation and we should not be assured that they have salvation and it should be our concern that they turn back to God. Now, Christians who cause others to stumble will answer to God. It's um, a terrible thing. Um, but one of the things that, that characterizes this church here, and I've seen it over many years, is that we often find people come to this church after an absence. Perhaps they've been hurt somewhere else or burned out in Christian service. And they come here and they find here a safe place where they can um, sit and, and soak up and, and, and be restored. 
uh, and then start to serve again. And I, 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 the, my memories go back to me. I came here after a burnout in 1998 and, and didn't do a lot for a couple of years. But, but God was very gracious in that situation. Um, but I've seen it time and time again here. And wherever you go, try and be a Christian who's in the business of helping others be restored where they've been hurt or are a casualty in the Christian faith. This is on the list of resources. That's where uh, that comes from. Uh, and then finally, um, the question was, can we talk about death? And uh, would it be possible to address the whole topic of death and dying? People don't talk about what clearly is going to happen to all of us. Uh, and I think that's more than I can just do in one message, let alone anything else. So what can I do? I, I can say to you, this is the most outstanding book that I've read of late. It's by John Wyatt, who was a professor of pediatrics. He's recently retired, but he, he spent a lot of time on Christian ethics and dying. He's written another book uh, talking about euthanasia and the like as well. It's called Dying Well, Dying Faithfully, and it's only seven chapters plus four really useful appendices. And I would offer this to you. Uh, if you know someone who's going through the, the, the prospect uh, of dying, if you are someone who is struggling with um, uh, recent bereavement or something like that, his, his chapters include dying in the modern world and the, the art of dying. And it's written for believers. And what the third chapter is the opportunities that dying well may bring. You know, internal spiritual growth, being thankful, healing, building, celebrating and completing relationships, finding forgiveness, letting go, and so on. And then he talks about the next chapter, about the challenges of dying well and some of the temptations that you will face if you're faced with your, the prospect of, of your death approaching. And he talks about these temptations and how we should overcome them. And other chapters include communicating honestly, sorry the print's got a bit small here, learning from the example of Jesus, and then a sure and steadfast hope. And the reason the print's a bit small, there's a lovely a quote from the last chapter. He says, to push the analogy a little further, the person who falls asleep in Christ is not only giving way to sleep after a long, grueling, and exhausting day, falling asleep in total safety and security, but falling asleep on the first night of the holidays with all the anticipation, excitement, and joy of waking up in the morning. I just thought that was a super way of expressing what death means to the believer. He goes on to say, yes, death is evil, but the process of dying can by the grace of God, be redeemed and turned into a source of strange and unlooked for blessing. And I commend John Wyatt's book to you in its own right. That's the subject as I can cover it with I hope many of those questions at least touched upon. But I, I suspect there may be questions that, that are coming to mind there's the opportunity over refreshments. You want to grab me, or, or if you've got really difficult questions, grab Ellen. Um, uh, but but you know, if you want to, uh, if you want to discuss it more because something's uh, scratching where you're itched, please do come and chat. At the end of this series, we are planning a roving mic session with um, uh, anybody can ask any questions that have 
risen from the series or other things that have, that have come up. So I'm not sure what date that'll be, but it'll be somewhere down the line. Beginning of December. Okay, so, so stick with this series. I think you'll find each of the subjects are, are, are challenging because you've been challenged by them and that's why you've asked the questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the scriptures give us enormous reassurance about the destiny of the believer and the confidence that we can have that you've taken care of things. Whether at the moment this is a personal issue for some people here, or whether it's something we haven't yet contemplated seriously, my prayer is that you would encourage us to walk away with great confidence in your love in the completed work of Jesus, in the sealing and securing work of the Holy Spirit, and in the work that you have yet to do when Jesus returns again and brings with him a new heavens and a new earth, which will be a great experience for eternity. Father, we offer ourselves to you, asking that you would help us to be motivated by the promise that we have and concerned enough for our unbelieving friends to do everything we can in your power to share our faith with them. And we'll trust that as we do that, you then would bring about the conviction and the repentance and return to you. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.